Chapter Two, Part Three of The Life of Clara Barton, Volume Two by William Barton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two, Part Three The Franco Prussian War. We have a little sidelight on Clara Barton's work among the French women in an undated letter from Belfort almost certainly by Antoinette Margot. An American woman in Paris had evidently asked her for some account of the work of Clara Barton, and she had promised to write it. The letter gives some intimate glimpses into the character of her work. October, 1871. Dear Madame, faithful to the promise made to you one bright day in paris more than two months ago i write you remember that it was a kind of clandestine pledge made in low tones that i would one time tell you something of the doings of your compatriot who has the singular habit for a woman as the world would say of doing something and saying nothing from much observation i am convinced that clara barton never makes the least report of what she does unless for some cause she considers it to be absolutely indispensable and then in a form so plain and business-like that one would read and turn the paper little dreaming of all the sentiment strength heart poetry and labor that lay hidden beneath that unpretending exterior it were too long to tell you of the few weeks in paris following your departure what between the sympathies for the families of the wretched prisoners of versailles and the outpouring alsatians who refused to remain german there was little rest for body or soul some entire families had even followed from strasburg knowing that miss barton went from there to paris and certain of relief if they should find her there they did find her and now occupy good positions one is even placed for life in the civil service of the french government if the government shall last so long but these things done through rain and storm, cost strength, and I was near to report to you a sick list. Happily that is past, and my present hour must be applied to telling you of Miss Barton's work in a third general point of desolate France, viz. the brave little town of Belfort which has rendered its name illustrious by the heroism of its defense here we are facing the high citadel and the famous cannon catherine that twenty-five thousand german bombs could not silence and here day after day works your countrywoman trying to overcome the greatest amount of misery possible among so many the room in which she received her people has been tendered by monsieur le administrateur of the town and is in his own mansion 
and himself and family are proving at every moment to your noble sister how proud they are of having obtained this favor it is in this room that she stands from morning till night smiling and graceful as always receiving family after family and endeavoring to learn by herself what are their circumstances how deeply they have suffered to express to them her sympathy and assist them with some money it is probable that many of these poor people in this land of aristocracies have never listened to words so respectfully spoken and are often so overcome by this added kindness of manner extended to them that the first answer which comes is a sob often no words can come and trembling blessing hands held out to her are all that can speak but oh how eloquently they speak they are very poor these relics of an eight months siege some of course have lost nothing in material by the war having nothing to lose but time and labor but the larger portion have lost all or nearly all they possessed the fruit of forty or fifty years of hard work and remain homeless hopeless old broken dispirited sick since they have lived in cellars and without the smallest prospect of regaining their lost property. Do wars in republics leave the people as badly off, I wonder? It is not a rare thing to see a poor woman come in with her garland of six, seven, or eight handsome young children, which she presents with both pride and distress. One had even thirteen, and when asked if all of them were still in her charge she exclaimed with the most charming simplicity oh no madam two are abroad i have only eleven to work for Today, a tall thinly clad woman entered and presented her billet bearing the stamp of the mayor have you children asked miss barton kindly as she took it have i children exclaimed the woman in a tone at once proud and pitiful dear child if i haven't i have ten miss barton turned away to her table but a stolen glance at her face a moment after detected something there glistening brighter than the gold she dropped into that hard dark hand ah thought i as i hastened down the name as rapidly as possible ah if only all the world's work were done with a little of the heart in it how much nearer heaven would seem when it was decided that miss barton would accept the labor of herself receiving the crowd of victims of the bombardment the authorities of the town fearing for her from the roughness of these people who they said would rush in altogether by all the doors and windows, placed four policemen around the house to protect her against the crowd. Two of them in turn have for their mission to open the only door by which the solicitors are admitted. 
but never was I so amused as to see Miss Barton protecting her policemen and preventing these rough men and shrill-toned women from crowding them against the wall. When sometimes they are all in a quarrel, the policemen swearing like two thunders according to the approved French manner of preserving respect, she appears at the door and in the most charming manner prays them to wait a little and be quiet. Then the most piercing voices become silent. The wildest men are ashamed of the noise. The only visible motions are those nearest trying to hide themselves behind others, and those in the distance raising themselves on tiptoe to see la bonne dame americaine. As for the policemen, they are perfectly puzzled, and could never have supposed that so gentle a lady, who never scolds or swears, could hold in order so undisciplined a crowd. Often the work is interrupted for more agreeable reasons. Once it is a deputation of the sisters of the civil hospital, in their snowy bonnets, or some charitable institutions of the town, who want to thank her for the gifts sent to their establishment. Another day it is the mayor of the town, who desires to pay respects. Another time all the council, mercifully asking to be allowed to express to her their gratitude in the name of Belfort and the county. All this, as a personal matter, I hear always steadily repelled, and they are politely requested to bear in mind that it is America and the goodly city of Boston to whom, if to any, all thanks are due. But no one is so mad as to expect to outdo a Frenchman in official politeness, and I observed the president of the council, half-bent, hat in hand, replying that their three names would be always so united in their hearts that they should never be able to hear the one without thinking of the others. This is a region almost exclusively Catholic, and the ignorance of the people is something deplorable. Each recipient is asked for a signature, and the proportion who are able to make something beyond an X is less than one in fifteen. Writing is an accomplishment generally not to be thought of, especially by the women, but when one who has attained so far is asked if she can give her signature, she replies, with the assuming grace of a noble of the blood, Certainement, pourquoi pas? but the common response is a burst of astonishment at the bare supposition. I write, Mandu, how should I? A difficulty, by no means the smallest, is to find the kind of money to which these poor people have been accustomed. The immense payments of France to Germany, all in silver and gold, are fast making coin among the things that were. The banknotes of France, never having been small in value, and used rather as a convenience for business than as a currency for the people, the poor are mostly strangers to it, 
and when a note was placed in their hands, they waited, holding it a long time, and then ventured to inquire timidly if that was something that they could get some money for, and where should they go to get it changed, and how should they do it? It was useless to tell them its value. They would have preferred ten francs in silver to twenty in paper. And indeed, as they could not read, it were perhaps better for them, as one saw at once that they would be at the mercy of every swindler they met. This would not do. All notes which had been given were recalled and redeemed in coin, and it is certainly the occupation of one man from morning till night to change paper into coin as fast as it is required for distribution. But it is impossible. The night is not long enough to tell all that transpires during the day, and one must not attempt it. I only wish, as I always do, that her own people could see their countrywoman at work among European poor, as not one European has done. If they are proud of her for what she has done at home, they would be prouder of her in a tenfold greater degree for what she is doing abroad, never at the best strength in a strange country of foreign customs and diverse tongues. Pardon, s'il vous plaît, my miserable English. You knew what it was when you gave me leave to write you, and I can only thank you for the kind indulgence. Yours in sincerity, A. Antoinette was not quite correct, however, concerning Clara Barton's reports. She made rather full reports to the organizations that supplied her with funds. To Mr. Edmund Dwight, chairman of the Boston Committee, under whose auspices she labored during the latter part of her time in France, she wrote an extended letter, outlining in full her method of work, and shows how sensibly and wisely she did all her work. Chateau de Belfort Belfort, October 28th 1871. Dear Mr. Dwight, sitting down to write you after one of the hardest day's work one might ever hope to find, you will not wonder if I am not dazzlingly brilliant. I should not select so inauspicious a moment, but that I find your letter has been waiting so long without getting to me and that I cannot rest until I have at least commenced a reply, even if I am not able to finish it to-night. It had been stayed by my own orders. My letters in France for a time went wrongly, and some were lost, both for and from me, for which the postal authorities are now busy searching. And as the losing of letters is one of the things I cannot endure, I ordered mine to be held at all points where they would arrive, until I could arrange some safe place of reception. They have come to me at Belfort, and I find yours, which has waited a month. 
I should have written upon leaving Paris in July if I had not thought every day that I might get a line from either you or Mr. Moran telling me of the delivery or receipt of my large package of accounts, from which I might draw some inference if my manner of doing things were an acceptable one. After this, I grew so busy that I think I forgot all but my work or rather did not realize the length of time as it passed so quickly. You ask for my views. They have been so many and so varied that it would be impossible to tell them at one sitting, but I may say that my sympathy and judgment have pointed and my efforts been directed to three classes of sufferers with two of which I have nearly finished, and the third I am at this moment among with heart and hand. One, these were the families of the prisoners of Versailles, and the ships of the Manche. Two, the families of Alsace and Lorraine, who, refusing to become German, are passing over the lines into France by hundreds, even thousands. 3. And thirdly, the region of Belfort. The first named of these are no longer confined to Paris, but are scattered now, for some distance around, poor, suffering, frightened, and trebly desolate. First, they have often lost the family support in the person of the prisoner. Next, they wait in suspense worse than actual death for the result of the impending trial, and fearing often to reveal to those about them who they are and why they are so destitute. And lastly, poor as they are, they know that the government allows but fifty centimes a day for the use of each prisoner, and provides nothing else, not even a bed, only straw, and whatever more he has, and many are very ill, must be provided by the friends from outside. You will see how the hungry mouths and wretched homes would be robbed by pity and anxiety to supply this necessity. I have made it a portion of my care to find and supply some of these families. It can only be some, for there cannot be less than twenty thousand of them there are forty thousand prisoners the next in order and a still more wretched class if possible so far as extreme homelessness and nothingness can go are the outcoming alsatians the time has arrived for each to decide individually which to become and remaining to take the oath of allegiance to Germany. In their ignorance and infatuation, they still believe France to be the greatest nation of the earth, and in spite of her recent reverses, watch with unflinching faith to see her, at no distant day, rise in all her old-time power and glory, and advance in majesty to take back her lost possessions. And to them the thought is death, that in that proud day, second only to the resurrection, they and their sons must bend their necks to the Prussian helmet, 
and point their guns against the eagles of France. Impudent expressions touching these points bring them into unpleasant relations with the German soldiery still stationed among them, who probably do not hesitate to mention unwelcome and unpalatable facts. This last feather is too much, and finding the burden too heavy to be borne, the incensed father, or too often the widowed mother, gathers up the family of growing children, and turning the back upon the blackened walls and trampled fields of the old home, makes the nearest point of the French lines and comes out defiant, with never a penny or a morsel. The French are glad to receive them, feel complimented by their loyalty, but are burdened and embarrassed by them. Societies for their relief are formed at many points, but it is only the merest trifle they can do for them, excepting to aid in finding employment. This often takes a long time, and the interim of waiting is something fearful. I found them largely at Lyon, which is one of the points they make on their way to the south of France, and Algiers. Again, I found them at Paris, where several thousands have come in, every train bringing them, especially the night trains. I have put in practice a lesson here, which I learned in Germany fourteen months ago, when infuriated France drove all her German families over her lines, viz. to meet and provide for them at the trains. No one can suppose for a moment that leaving Alsace and Lorraine and coming into France is not the most unwise and deplorable step these poor people could take, that they would not be a hundredfold better off to remain. But I did not understand that your mission was to the wise, but to the unhappy, and I have taken the liberty to give them something." But while occupied with those and these, I had by no means forgotten Belfort, or the fact that this was to be the great point when the right time should come. After leaving Paris, I met some very intelligent and practical gentlemen from that vicinity, and learned of them many facts which have been of use to me, and always a confirmation of what we had both thought— viz. that help would be really more serviceable at the commencement of the cold weather than in midsummer. Their crops were abundant, especially grass. This set me to confer in Switzerland in reference to cows, and from these inquiries I learned something of a plan most gratifying if it could be realized, and I waited a little to see. This was in August, at which time, as you know, nearly all the cattle are on the mountains. On the ninth of October, Le Joie de la Saint-Denis, they are returned to the farms. There are then often too many for the winter, and they can be purchased at lower rates. This, then, would be the time to purchase. 
but the good idea had entered into the minds of the Swiss to make a collection of cattle at that time for all the vicinity of Belfort and Montbelliard, or where the stock had been lost. They could do this without sending money out of Switzerland, which they desired to avoid, having already done so much of it. They carried out their plan, and when the time arrived, commenced sending, and are still sending, to this region nearly as much stock as it is thought they can keep through the winter. When I saw these things likely to succeed, I held a conference with all the authorities of Belfort, and asked them to tell me plainly what their people most needed. They replied, small sums of money to commence the winter with, and gave this reason. There is just now commencing a money panic in France. The large payments she must make to Germany in gold and silver make these commodities exceedingly scarce, and all who have a little bury it in their pockets and bureaus and hold it against the time when there will be no more and paper worth little or nothing the smallest note as you know is twenty francs a sum beyond the reach of a poor family and thus there is nothing for them in money this state of things they assured me would grow worse and worse and as france is only at her second payment i believe there was no room to doubt the correctness of their judgment i asked how they would have it in a sum to give to the people themselves or should i give it apologizing for the labor they were suggesting to me they begged that i would do it if i could not that they were too indolent to do the work for they are splendid men and have the welfare of their people at heart but they explained that living among and exercising jurisdiction over these people who looked to them for impossible things it was embarrassing to them to make distributions among them personally the people were ignorant and all had suffered so much that each one believed his or her case to be the worst in the world and they would be much better satisfied with something from a stranger which they would receive as a gift, than with ten times the sum from the municipal authorities to whom they looked for indemnity. They seemed almost ashamed to ask me the labor of distribution, and offered all possible assistance. For the town of Belfort and the nearest villages, the administrateur has made the same kind of arrangement as the mayor of Villette and I am at this writing receiving at this house from fifty to a hundred a day, hearing their story and giving to them the proportion which seems best suited to their condition. I shall go from point to point, seeing and aiding personally all I can, or until I am too tired to go farther, and after this, if something remain unfinished, find the proper persons to do what I have not done. Montbelliard, Haute-Savoie, and Gex will be remembered as you desired. Indeed, 
is it necessary for me to say that i shall try by all means in my power to carry out all suggestions which you have made time and observation have shown them to have been wise and good i have found nothing better and only dare hope i may be able to execute something nearly as well as you designed the money from bearing brothers i have drawn through paris as far as i thought well in the present state of things and indeed more of it than i have found convenient for the manner in which i was desired to distribute it and some i must take through switzerland or germany to get the coin which will be useful to these people the authorities will aid me in all these things i have so far rather gained than lost in all exchanges i believe i have forgotten to speak of my visit to the prefect of daubes which was one of the most pleasant that could have been i found him to be an excellent man who desired to be remembered to you with great regard regretting your illness he seemed glad and touched that i had found and regarded the families of alsace and lorraine and a little surprised that i should have comprehended their condition so quickly as he expressed it as they are a rather new feature in the chapter of french suffering and he asked that in anything i might leave with besancon he be allowed to draw one half of it from the comite des sequois from time to time to aid these families on their distressing arrivals and passages through the town i thank you very much for this pleasant and useful introduction i am unable my dear friend at the present moment to report further as i am just in the midst of my work when it is a little over i will write again and as soon as possible i will send you all explanations and certificates and signatures which have come into my possession and tell you as well as i am able what i have done and how it was done with the highest esteem, I am very truly yours, Clara Barton. I cannot describe how painful and tiresome I find it to work here, abroad, among these strangers, with every thought and sympathy and energy turning and rushing four thousand miles across the ocean to our own beautiful and ill-fated city, with its hundred thousand homeless heads. Footnote. This was written shortly after the disastrous Chicago fire. End footnote. At night, I can realize this a little. In the morning, I think I have dreamed a bad dream. The facts will not remain fixed with me. A message has been sent from the court of Baden to say that I am desired there. This is the third time I have been asked in the last two months, but was always too busy to go immediately. But now that I am so near and the message made so direct, I must go. If I can finish my work first, I will. If not, I must leave it a little and return. I have no idea what is wanted of me. I will send this enclosed to Baring Brothers. Hastily. C.B.
This work continued for some time, and there came no definite date which could be accounted its termination. For this reason, and because of the condition of her health, the final report was not presented until after her return to America. Then, in a letter to Mr. Dwight, the chairman, and Mr. Jackson, the secretary, Miss Barton sent her final accounting, asking for its approval, on receipt of which she proposed to return the balance in her hands. Her letter is as follows. Misters Edmund Dwight and P. T. Jackson, Boston. Esteemed friends, it has long been a subject of deep regret to me that I have been unable to make my report of the expenditure of certain sums of money placed in my hands by you as agents for the distribution of the French Relief Fund sent by the city of Boston to the people of France who had been rendered destitute by the War of 1870 to 1871. My apology for this long delay is physical illness, which overtook me before the work of distribution was completed in 1872, and has, with the exception of a few months, held me prostrate from that time until the present, more than two-thirds of the time unable to leave my bed, and one year unable to transact the smallest item of my own business, or even hear of it as done by others. But all this time it has been a source of pain and unrest to me that I could not close the account and make the proper returns to you, and all the more so, as there is still a portion of the money which I did not expend, and which I desire to return to you, and only he who knows and comprehends all can know with what gratitude I welcome the past few weeks of returning strength, which have enabled me to go over the long, undisturbed packages of letters, receipts, and vouchers which have traveled with and remained by me all these weak and weary years, and arrange them to be at last given up to you, who have waited upon my silence with a gentlemanly kindness seldom met in the rough business of life. Although allowed the largest liberty in regard to the place and manner of the distribution, I knew from you both that your preference lay in the direction of the east of France, and accordingly Belfort, Montbelliard, Besancon, Savoie, and Strasbourg became the scenes of my labors, and as you both know my manner was to give in small sums to the needy in person, it only remains for me to repeat that I met the poor of these districts by call, through the civil authorities presiding over them, listened to each story of want and suffering, and gave such a sum as assured by the authorities would be most serviceable to them, and such as they themselves should have given if left in their hands. I was always cautioned from this quarter against making the sum too large, as the people had only the habit of small sums, and were demoralized by too much at once. This, of course, 
both increased and prolonged the labor of distribution. I remember to have written you that among the most necessitous I met were the outcoming Alsatians. An extract from a letter of mine, written at Belfort, October 1871, and kindly embodied in your report, renders a further description of this class of sufferers unnecessary in mine. As these self-constituted exiles made their way largely into or through the districts I was serving, the people were keenly alive to the distress they witnessed and humanely devised plans for relief the one most practicable to their minds was to form a colony of alsatians in the south of france and help them on to it the climate was genial and productive the country not overpopulated and the mayors and prefects besought me to withhold something for this enterprise and aid them personally in the establishment of their colony I accordingly held back the money I had not expended and went to Paris to learn what aid would be rendered by influential persons and the government. But Paris was not so unsophisticated as the good people of the desolated outskirts. She was wise, polite, and had other aims. She immediately foresaw that these people— once broken up in their homes and family ties, placed on the borders of the sea studded with ships, would not withstand a pressure of poverty, but at the first approach of want would emigrate a second time and to some other country. Thus France would lose her soldiers, and she counted largely on the exasperated Alsatians some day to fight for their homes, take back their lost possessions, and the Rhine. Hence, they not only discouraged, but forbade the step, and I had my appropriation left on my hands. I went to Karlsruhe to deliberate and rest, was worn out, and became ill, and from that time have never been able either to apply the funds or, until now, arrange the papers showing how I had disposed of what I had applied. At the end of a year and a half of illness, I was able to figure up what still is due you, which some, if satisfactory to you, I shall be happy to send you in a draft on my bankers. Praying that, if upon examination all is not found to be satisfactory, you will not hesitate to inform me, and thanking you for your kindness and patience, I remain, with the highest respect, most truly yours, Clara Barton. New England Village, Massachusetts, April 24th, 1876. Accompanying this letter was a detailed statement of all monies received and expended, with vouchers for the disbursements. This account was duly audited, and the committee discovered that miss barton had deducted nothing for her own expenses nor for any disbursements excepting those for which she had sent vouchers they therefore sent to her the following letter my dear miss barton mr dwight informed me some time since 
that you have about eleven hundred and thirty dollars still on hand of the money sent to you by the committee of the French fair of which I was treasurer. Your account shows that you have made no charge for your expenses, and that you have charged us only with items for which you have vouchers, taking no notice of the sums given where you were unable to take receipts. If the account had been made up with all of these items included, the balance would have been nearly or quite absorbed. The committee have, therefore, directed me to say that they consider the account balanced, and request that you will accept this letter as a receipt in full settlement of your account with them. Thank you for your services in this work of charity, and hoping that your health may soon be restored, I remain with great respect. Yours very truly, P. T. Jackson. Treasurer, French Fair. There still remained in the hands of the Boston Committee a sum of something more than $3,000. The committee desired to present this to Miss Barton, who had accepted no salary during her period of work, and whose broken health they regarded as in a large measure the result of her arduous efforts for the relief of the stricken people of France. This was not acceptable to Miss Barton she did not want the money she wrote that she was almost the last of her family with no dependents and had neither use nor desire for money a day beyond her life nor beyond the simple needs for which her present income was sufficient the committee therefore decided to give the money remaining in their hands to the massachusetts general hospital in boston which had a provision that the interest should be paid to clara barton during the term of her natural life the hospital concurred in this arrangement and faithfully carried out the trust clara barton received an annuity semi-annually on three thousand two hundred and fifty one dollars the amount which finally was paid over to that institution with this action the committee placed upon record their high appreciation of her service in France. 60 State Street, Boston, July 1st, 1876. Dear Miss Barton, You will wonder at my long silence, but owing to the absence of gentlemen of the committee under whom I act, I have only been able to obtain their signatures today the money in the hands of Messrs. brown brothers including interest on bonds to may first is four thousand five hundred and twenty one dollars of which one quarter or one thousand one hundred and thirty dollars belongs to mr jackson's fund of this i am directed to pay one hundred and fifty dollars to a distressed family from massachusetts now in boston the balance, or $3,240, to pay to the Massachusetts General Hospital in trust to pay income arising from this money to you during your life, afterwards to become the property of the hospital. 
In making this arrangement, the committee desired to express to you their high appreciation of your intelligence and self-sacrifice in distributing the funds placed in your hands and their great sympathy with you and your long and painful illness caused partly by the work which you did in their behalf. They recognize the great accuracy of your accounts, the large numbers of vouchers obtained by much labor, and the scrupulous care with which you have guarded the money entrusted to you. They wish you good health and a long life. I need not tell you, dear Miss Barton, how cordially I join in all good wishes for your health and happiness. May the hospital pay your annuity until the next centennial. Sincerely yours, Edmund Dwight. End of chapter 2, part 3.